Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We are live with the Standing Room Spartans podcast this week's episode. I'm here with Scott Martin, my co-host, as always, Kevin Parker, here on my not-great microphone again. I apologize. We're hopefully getting this cleared up soon. I actually got a new device. Uh, I got a Microsoft Surface, and I didn't realize when I bought it that I need to get all these converters because they have USB-C instead of USB-A and all this mess. So it's been kind of a pain getting these converters. I actually kind of need a new microphone too. So we'll get that straightened out soon. Uh, but hopefully the quality is good enough for everybody out there. Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, Final Four weekend. It's Easter weekend. So happy Easter to everybody who is listening to this. And we're in the middle of spring football. Like I said, we got stuff to talk about and we decided to throw out a little mailbag here today. So first of all, Scott, got to go over to you. How are we doing on this lovely Saturday, early April? We're fantastic. It's final four day today as we record. Um, I think the day this drops is championship Monday, right? Championships on Monday. So um just a quick bracket update while we're on it we'll move through this quickly but uh got i think by my calculation four brackets still kind of in the running here the real shardy at will jones win at big blue tater tot and kevin c so we have a kevin representing with the houston pick not (laughs) our kevin (laughs) i am sitting tied for 11th um with boone for three and you are in 14th, uh, yeah. tied with egg roll That's, picks. Okay. It's so, gotten better over the last round then. But. Yep, yep. And uh, again, thank you to all the 23 participants. It's been fun watching the, the brackets come together. Obviously, Kevin and I have had better years. But um, yeah, by the time that, uh, that this drops, we'll have probably down to two brackets. If not, um, we may even know who won before the championship. We will see. But doing well. Uh, spring football's rolling. We're getting through this. The weather's getting better every week. Um, uh, yeah, we're feeling good. Yeah, so we'll like I said, we got some good mailbag stuff we'll hit on and everything. But I want to start by just airing a grievance here. I was listening to, I was just walking my dog right before we sat down to record this. 
I was out. I'm listening to the Cover Three podcast. It's CBS's uh, college football podcast, national podcast. They they do a phenomenal job. I I don't want to. If you're looking for a national podcast, I definitely recommend them. But they did a mailbag today, or I guess this was a few days ago. Uh, and I, th- I think it was Chicago Spartan was who they said wrote in the question. They were asking about Mel Tucker. What, what do you guys think about him? What's kind of the outlook for the future? And everybody's answer collectively pissed me off. So I wanted to just kind of rant about that now that it's, it's still fresh. And it was the, it was the narrative that just drives me nuts in that, well, Mark D'Antonio did a great job, but you have to remember the context. Penn State was coming off of their, their violations, sanctions, what, you know, whatever was involved there. Michigan was coming off of Rich Rod and Brady Hoke. And so they had an easier path and all this tired nonsense that I was just, I was like fuming as I'm walking home. And on, on one level, look, I get it. Like, we're not going to be Ohio State. The ceiling for the program isn't Ohio State and Alabama and everything like that. But to say that Michigan State's ceiling can't be what it was under D'Antonio, I think is just completely ridiculous. Because not only did we do it under D'Antonio, but we've done it before D'Antonio as well. And I think that there's just neglecting that there was only one team that was really competing with Ohio state who had urban Meyer mind you, who was going undefeated and was losing to one team in the big 10. And that was Michigan state. We beat them two times. And there's one thing to say about like, Oh, we beat them once a little bit of a fluky game. Okay. Now we beat them twice once in 2015 with arguably urban Meyer's best team. We beat them in 2013 on a neutral site with another great team and we beat Stanford in that bowl game. That was a great Stanford team. D'Antonio has beaten Baylor, Georgia, like national brands. And it was just so frustrating to hear that, you know, Oh, well the ceiling, I think it was Bud Elliott. He said the ceiling was uh, probably like a 10 win team. He said this, uh, if, if Mel Tucker does a great job here, There'll be there'll be a bowl game plus one or two wins. I'm like you're saying like a, a good like a good job by Mel Tucker gets us like a seven win season. I just thought it was the bad seasons with Mark D'Antonio were seven win seasons, and that was just so frustrating because I don't know what the national outlook on Michigan State is, but I think people have to realize that again the bad, the worst seasons for Mark D'Antonio, if we take out 2016, because that was just a disaster, but the floor was seven win seasons. And and now we're talking about that being like a good result. Well, if he does a good job, they're a seven, eight win team. Like what? I, that was so frustrating for me. So I had to get that off my chest because I just listened to it. But I don't know, man, that, that drove me nuts. It feels like the and it has felt like this since D'Antonio's teams really came to prominence um, on the national level it feels like the national media wants to be able to move on from Michigan State because it's not the biggest brand in the Big Ten East it feels like they want to spend their time talking about Ohio State 
They want to spend their time talking about Michigan. They want to spend their time talking about Penn State. You could sprinkle in Wisconsin, maybe in the Big Ten West. I think they hate it when Michigan State is high because our national brand isn't as large as those big three. And it's maybe it falls on deaf ears in their opinion. Um, it's always felt like that. I, but I will say that level of disrespect and <laughs> that words back um, <laughs> ha, did feed the program under D'Antonio. I don't think any Michigan State fan would be ashamed to, to admit that. I think we took pride in that for a long time. Um, you know, maybe it leads to, to better <laughs> betting odds for guys like you right. and me come fall. Um, but it is frustrating. I mean, that's a ridiculous statement. Um what's Jim Harbaugh's ceiling? He has only won 10 games right. in a season, right? <laughs> D'Antonio won 13 games in a season, 12 games, 11 games in multiple seasons. Jim Harbaugh's never won 11 games at Michigan. Nobody's saying Jim Harbaugh's ceiling is 10 wins, but he's never done it. They haven't done it since Brady Hoke's first year. And before that, since 2006, winning 11 games. So I don't need to make this a Michigan, Michigan state, um, episode we can do that with every episode if we wanted to but ridiculous but fill that cup with disrespect put it on the bulletin board you know Mel Tucker it'll come back around to him you know and if that's if that's a narrative in one place that's a narrative in a few places so if that's what they want to build around the program we can take advantage of that win games we're quote-unquote not supposed to and uh continue to take people by surprise I agree it's a it's a bs narrative um yeah, it's, I think it's like did we take advantage of two pro two big programs down years yeah but we took advantage of it like I, I think there's something to be said about we won we cleaned out the big 10 during that time we were beating everybody it, it, and that includes ohio state like when the penn state the last few years it's wow this great big program they're the only ones competing with Ohio state and they're not beating them, but they're competing with them. Michigan state at that time was the only program competing with Ohio state, except we were actually beating them. Like it was so frustrating. And and you've got this narrative like, okay, yes, Penn state was down when, you know, Joe Paterno left the program. They obviously were dealing with sanctions and, and their whole baggage that they have to work through or had to work through, but like take 2017, that was, that Penn state team was by all means going into that season, a national championship contender. That's, that was the narrative around the big 10. We went in there and even they, deep into October, they were national. They were what yeah. number four in the country when we played Yeah, them? Penn state won the big 10 in 2016 came in in 2017. They only lost two games. They win that Michigan state game. They lose one game. I mean, that's a national champion. That's that's not. Like, oh, Penn State was down right. in two thousand. That's, that's a team that probably gets into the playoff. Like, they were back. I mean, they were. That was. I mean, say what you want about where the program's gone now. You know, eleven wins that season. They had eleven wins, nine wins, and eleven wins in twenty nineteen. Penn State is back, and we're still competing with and beating them. Ohio State, we beat them in their prime under Urban Meyer twice. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else you got to do to get that respect. Uh, but like I said, put it on the bulletin board, let it fuel the program. I agree. It's BS. I'd love to get on the the cover three and give them a piece of my mind, but (laughs) we have to move on at some point. Right. Yeah. It's, it's just, 
unbelievable. I, I, it, it had me fuming this morning, so I had to get it off my chest. Um, but like I said, we do have um, kind of a transition. We have our own mailbag uh, questions today that we'll get to. Uh, but I want to thank everybody. I, I put out an article this week about the quarterback battle. Um, it was titled quarterback battle, a true dichotomy, because I think there is a, it's, it's, we, we talked about this on the podcast a little bit. It's two players that are completely different. So to the now well over a thousand people who have read that, thank you. Uh, I appreciate the, the feedback, um, got a lot of good stuff and that dovetails into a, a, a mailbag question here that I literally got seven minutes ago. So after we already started the podcast, Spartan bot, our guy Spartan one eight seven seven zero, slid one in at the last second here. Uh, why is Theo Day still on this team? Number two, why is Theo Day still on this team? Number three, why is Theo Day still on this team? Thanks, guys, love the show. Um, Spartan bot, great timing. You just slipped it in there, and it, it segues nicely from my uh, piece on the quarterback battle, which I do think is a two-person battle going into this year. Maybe hemp fake can make some noise in 2022 or even maybe late in the season. But I think this offseason, it's Peyton Thorne and it's Anthony Rousseau. Um, Scott, why is Theo Day still on this team? To me and you, it's a two-guy battle. Um, but in the program, within the walls of the Scandalera Center, it's anyone's game. I certainly don't think anyone would say Peyton Thorne grabbed the reins last year and made the program his. We know Rousseau is coming in, but it's certainly not his job yet. If you're Theo Day, maybe you have an extraordinary level of self-confidence. You feel like you had a great offseason. You made some serious strides. You know the job's open. And uh, you think you can win this job. I don't think he's out of the out of the question. I think from what we know, just, you know, it's our quote-unquote job to, to speculate. I think we think it's a two-person job, but we don't know where Theo Day's at in his development. We saw, I don't think he had any snaps last year. If he did, maybe he handed the ball off a couple times. No, he did. He had a couple in 2019. He had a couple snaps in D'Antonio's last year. Cleanup duty, but. Um, yeah, he, I mean, there's. He, an, he was the backup in 2019. 2020, he didn't take any snaps. So, so I mean, I don't, I don't think he's really in the competition, but I mean, all intents and purposes, he is, you know, he's going to get a shot. He's going to get his reps in, in spring practice and in fall camp, and he's going to have his chances to show, you know, what he's got. He still has a decent amount of eligibility. So if he goes through this season and decides to transfer, sure. I wouldn't have been surprised to see him transfer, but that's the surprising thing for me is like, why is like, we're not going to cut him. I I mean, like that's, that's not really how it works, but why is he still on the team is, is a question for me because like with the opportunities there are in the transfer portal, especially this year where there's no penalty, I'm surprised he didn't go anywhere. I mean, he's six, five, two He's got good size. He was a pretty highly rated kid. He had a couple sec offers, um, let alone all the other schools that were after him. And he's like, you say, he's a red shirt junior. He's got a couple more years of eligibility. I'm surprised he didn't transfer. And maybe that says something about him. Like you said, the confidence of the character to, you know, Hey, I committed to play here. I'm going to stick it out. And, and eventually I'm going to play my way into an opportunity. So I give the kid all the credit in the world, but um, yeah, I, I just, I have a hard time seeing a path to him being the starting quarterback in the next two years. 
Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, Michigan State this season's a place where there is an open spot to play quarterback, um, and he's going to get a shot at it. He must think, you know, from a confidence standpoint, he's got a shot, or, or entirely the other side of the spectrum he doesn't feel like he could really make an impact anywhere and he's just going to stick it out finish his education at michigan state um yeah i think that, i find that's that a good hard point. to believe maybe we, maybe we always <laughs> give these kids too much credit like no they're they're toughing it out or whatever maybe it's just like you know what i don't think i'm any good at this like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna chill collect my scholarship get my gear and get get my degree and get out of here <laughs> technically you no know, i mean he so he redshirted 2018 um he appeared in two games of 2019 burned a year of eligibility last year nobody lost eligibility he's got three years even if he spends this year on the bench he's got two years where he could go transfer maybe he's thinking you know it's covid i can't visit these schools i can't meet these coaches i don't want to transfer right now because everything's up in the air at the end of the day a quarterback with good size and good um I guess, recruiting history that he's, he's going to find suitors in the transfer portal every year at his position. Um, so who knows what kind of factors there are. I think there's some very legitimate reasons for guys not to want to transfer this year, even if, you know, that's kind of the long-term path they might take. Um, yeah, we'll see who knows. Maybe there's surprises. I know one of the mailbag questions right now is about who's going to surprise us. Um, coming out of the spring football. I don't necessarily think it's going to be Theo Day, but you never know. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm surprised, but th with everything going on, I could see why a guy maybe wouldn't want to make a move this offseason. Yeah, no, it's a good point. It, and he is close to home. He's from Canton, right? He's only about an hour drive from home. So, you know, it's a comfort level for him. Um, if he transferred, I would assume it would be somewhere close to home, uh, but you never know. Um, so I, I thought that was good. Spartan bot, you just slipped that one in there. So <clears throat> getting to the rest of the questions here, we got some really good ones here today. I want to make sure we give everybody their time. So Isaac Kraus at Isaac Kraus on Twitter, he sent a DM. I uh, said, you see the YouTube video of the team playing spike ball question for the podcast. What summer lawn game parentheses, cornhole, spike ball, horseshoes, bocce ball, long darts, etc." is your favorite and if you had to choose a partner for that game from the current team who would you go with and why um scott i'll start with you on this one because i actually i couldn't decide on just one game so i got a couple here but uh, i want to let i want to see uh where your head's at i'll give you i'll give you two answers um, because we never give just one answer. No, I've, first cheating of all, is the way of the is the way of the world. So <laughs> wh why would we change that during uh, our mailbag questions? Um, old reliable cornhole. If you yep. call it bago or any other name, no, then you need hole. to see someone. It is cornhole. <laughs> um, great game, classic. Uh, if I'm gonna pick somebody, I'm gonna go with Matt Coglin because I think kickers just have that accuracy, that repetitive motion. Okay. Uh, maybe a punter you could throw in there. I know they'd have to use their hands instead of their feet. There's maybe there's a discussion in there, but I think they just have that finesse gene, that consistency gene. So, so um, I had, I had cornhole as well. If I had to pick one, it would have been cornhole. And I had a similar answer. If we're going special teams, I went Hank pepper. I think okay. you, you mentioned the consistency, the throwing motion. I, I want him in the long snapper stance. I don't know if, if you've ever seen like, 
I don't know if you've ever seen long snapping drills. Like they have full on camps. Like people will yeah. go to a long snapping camp. Can you imagine and snapping for a whole weekend? No, just nonstop. I genuinely cannot. <laughs> but I was a kicker and I went to many kicking camps. And along with that, you would have, it would, it would a lot of time be kind of a special teams camp. Um, I remember one at Eastern Michigan, we, we went and there was kind of the kickers, there was the punters, there was the snappers. And they're basically like, they're snapping into little targets. So I want Hank Pepper with the bag. I want him, I want him snapping it into the hole. And I, I think, you know, he's a nationally rated guy. I, I think Hank Pepper would dominate Cornhole. I like it. Um, so my kind of fringe answer here, and I admittedly have only played this a few times, but Beersby, I think yeah. is, is a very underrated yard game. It's a ton of fun. I've played it. The, the best way to play it, if you ever get an opportunity, is like in, in like on a sandbar, like real shallow water. You know, you got like knee deep water or something. You can dive around. A uh, lot of fun if you ever get an opportunity to play it like that. Um, I think in that game you want just just athlete, right? So I'm going to go with Jaden Reed. Um, okay. I think he's just got that explosive. Like he could cover so much space, getting that frisbee, catching that bottle. Um, yeah, that's my uh, that's my backdoor. Like I said, if I'm playing one game the rest of my life, it's cornhole. But I think Beersby deserves deserves its moment here. Yeah, and I I had a couple other ones. I had croquet, uh, a big croquet guy. And okay, I didn't the, see the, that one coming. The person I chose, I know it's not a partner game, but if I had to choose like a a representative for Team Parker, I, I put Jalen Hunt. Just, you know, when you get in, I don't know if anybody's played croquet out there, but you get into the positions where if your ball is touching another ball, you basically just get to smash theirs out of the way. And I I feel like Jalen Hunt would just hammer them and and they would need at least three or four strokes to get back on course, let alone like a golf shot, 120 (laughs) yards away. (laughs) Right. So I I chose Jalen Hunt for croquet. Uh, spike ball. I did put spike ball down on there. I've only played it a couple times. It's been kind of trending the last couple of years, but I, mm-hmm. I just haven't had the opportunities, but I put Kalon Gervin for spike ball. I okay. think he's got good agility, good change of direction. And then I think that motion of swatting a pass and swatting the spike ball. I, I think there's some correlation there and ball skills just yeah. in general. Yes. Yeah, I, like I, I got Kalon Gervin for spike ball. I put giant Jenga down here and I put Bryce Berenger, the punter. I think he's got steady hands, right? As a punter, you got to catch the ball and also the process of dropping the ball to your foot. It's, it's a very steady process. I think he was the field goal holder for a few games too. So maybe that comes into play. I hate when you get going on specialists. (laughs) Steady hands, Bryce Berenger, my giant Jenga partner. And the last one I put uh, as kind of is more of like a kid's lawn game, but everybody played it growing up is capture the flag. Ooh. And I put Jaden Reed there. I think, yeah. you know, once, once he gets the flag in his hands, it's basically a punt. Over. So yeah. <laughs> those no, I like mine. it. <laughs> what did we miss? I'm trying to think, I mean, you got lawn darts. I've never played lawn darts. I have played <clears throat> throwing it back to the college days, giant beer pong with right. trash cans which is fun and i think you um, and obviously you'd be taking there, a quarterback right? yeah. yeah um 
what else are we missing? Washers, which is kind of like cornhole, similar kind of your toss. I mean, hang on. First of all, cornhole washers, you have to throw back an homage to uh, the classic horseshoes, right? The, right. the original lawn game. Which again, one of the probably going to be a quarterback. Yeah, I'd say. Beer ball. Um, we played a lot of beer ball at the house. Um, I don't know if that's a very common game or if it's commonly called beer ball. So I don't, I won't even try to explain it, but um, again, probably a quarterback's game. What about 500? If you have to take somebody on the, on the catching side of 500. Oh, Trayvon Morgan's gone. So yeah. that, that would have been an easy pick. Uh, probably like Trey Mosley think he's yeah. trying to think of the you know kind of the jump ball receivers we got on the team um trenton gillison yeah, was, yeah but like is he that, i don't know anyway um it's it's yard game season it's warming up yeah we're, get we're your over on get out in the sun play some games socially distanced obviously for for a few more hopefully a few more weeks maybe a few more months we'll see um but uh but you can still play some yard games out there yeah, cornhole so, you can socially distance, right? If, yeah. if you're with your partner, but no, it's it's uh, yeah, it's it's warming up and and we got that weather. So that was a good topical question here from uh, Isaac Kraus again. Appreciate that one. That was a good one. Uh, next up, we have from SL Brownie, our guy Scott Brown, gave us the. Let me read this off verbatim. It was asking Scott. You kind of touched on it with the spring game here. He asked, a few years ago, Kenny Willekes tore up the spring game. At the time, he was a complete unknown. Of course, the rest is history. So who wins this year's quote-unquote Willekes Award of the spring game? So who's the guy that kind of comes out of nowhere um, and ends up being productive and, and we kind of go back to that spring game as like, wow, you know, he really made an impact, came out of nowhere a little bit and is, is now a, a full-fledged impact player on the team. I continue to be high on Cam Allen as a tight end. I know Trenton Gillison's there. Matt Dawson's obviously moved on. Um, Gillison has had opportunities to, to steal that job as his own. Uh, going up against Dotson, who I think we'd all agree wasn't the, the strongest competition at that, at that position. And, and Gillison didn't necessarily, you know, grab the reins and make it his. So I think there's an opportunity at tight end for somebody else to get looks and everything I've heard and seen is that Cam Allen is really fitting in on campus. He's really comfortable. I was watching the relentless series on, on YouTube, watching the player engagement episode. And in that episode, Darian Harris was speaking to the freshmen at like their fresh, I don't know what they call it, but basically, you know, their freshman leadership seminar with Darian Harris. And he was talking to the guys about how, cam allen as a early enrollee true freshman basically as as new to the program as you can possibly be is the leader in the tight end room which is astounding um from somebody his age and, and that fresh on campus to be comfortable enough to be viewed as a leader in that room so <clears throat> he's got the mental attitude we know he has a physical skills that, especially as a receiving type tight end i think there's a huge opportunity for him as much as a tight end can make an impact in a spring game. Um, I, I don't think he'll have infinite opportunities, but I do think he could be somebody that going into 
the early weeks of the season we're talking about as potentially taking over that tight end one job. Yeah, I, th- I think he will definitely have the opportunity, especially, you know, you look at a spring game, everybody's going to get reps. So uh, can he take advantage of that? Is is he a guy that, that can really play at that level? Like we said, we've, we kind of have a little bit of a hole at the tight end position. So I think that's a good pick. Somebody that we've talked about a little bit. I got a couple guys here uh, that I'll, I'll name. Devin Hightower, we've talked about him a ton uh, on the podcast, so I don't want to spend too much time, but I think that's a linebacker that is going to get enough playing time to make some noise. He'll be number 37, so as you're watching the spring game in a couple weeks here, keep an eye out there. Uh, Simeon Barrow, he is a defensive tackle, number eight. Uh, He came out of high school out of Georgia as a defensive end, uh, pass rusher type guy. He was coming out of high school at 250. He's currently bulked up to 280 in his two years uh, at Michigan State, or in his in his going into his second year, I should say, at Michigan State. And that's somebody that I think could make a little bit of noise. The defensive tackle rotation, like I said, we got those three guys we talked about on the last podcast that I think are are going to be playing the majority of the snaps. But he's somebody that I think could fill into that fourth spot even as early as this year that penetrating pass rushing guy from the inside and the last one. And and if I had to make one pick, I think it would be Terry Lockett, the wide receiver out of Minnesota. He played as a true freshman last year. He played in six of the seven games. Uh, he, He didn't play a whole lot. He played 30 offensive snaps, but even, uh, against Rutgers week one as a true freshman, he, he was on the field. So I think that says a lot about what this coaching staff thinks about him to, to put him into that spot so early into his career. So I think uh, Terry Lockett at, at the wide receiver position, number three, uh, six foot, 175, decent size at the, at the position. I think he's somebody with, you know, guys like Trayvon Morgan transferring out. There's still a lot of receiver talent with Jaden Reed, Jalen Naylor, Trey Mosley's is hopefully healthy going into this season. But I think uh, Terry Lockett could be somebody that slides into a little bit of a role here, maybe as the third or fourth receiver as early as this year, and then is somebody that we we look at down the line next year, two years from now, and and he's you know one of our best receivers on the team, and and we can kind of go back to the spring game and saying, wow, when he got the opportunity, man, did he look good? Yeah, no, I, we were talking about Terry Lockett before we got on here. It's kind of a name that's been in the background of the program a little bit, but a good recruit and a, and a guy that, like you said, has, has gotten some early attention. Um, another one of those guys that apparently fits this new Michigan state wide receiver mold, six foot, 180, six foot, 175, six foot one, 185, four are <clears throat> four guys, everybody, but Trey Mosley. So you got Lockett, Reed, Naylor, and, uh, and Ricky white are all like the exact same size, <laughs> similar athletic profiles. So um, yeah, we'll see where Terry comes out. I think there's an opportunity, at least in the top four. Um, I think you've got obviously Naylor and Reed up at the top as a wide receiver. And then you've got the, th- the, the trio of, of Mosley, White, and, uh, and Lockett that are all kind of there. And we're, we, we've seen bits and pieces of each one, and they've all shown kind of flashes. We'll see where that third, fourth, kind of that rotation fills out uh, with that position. But definitely excited to see what Lockett can do now that he's you know, in a position to, to start playing real, real snaps. 
Yep. So uh, next question here from uh, our guy, Marshall. Marshall Hart at MarshallJ93 on Twitter. Which Spartan do you think gets drafted first in this draft, 2021, and in next year, in 2022? I think that's a fascinating question because we'll, we'll hit on 2021. We've kind of talked about it a little bit. Um, we'll obviously give you an answer there. I think the 2022 part's fascinating, kind of uh, making some predictions of not only who's going to be good enough to get drafted, who's going to get drafted high, but who's even going to be some guys who might come out early or, or something like that. So we'll hit on that. We'll start with the 2021 draft. I think that this, the, the longer this has started to take shape, the more obvious of an answer this is. We, we very briefly touched on the pro days uh, last week or the week before. And for two guys, they were not good. And for one guy, it was okay. Um, which maybe I was actually thinking about this because I don't know if anybody out there has been paying attention to pro day numbers. It's, they do this every year where they inflate it, and it's really obvious. Kentucky had four guys at their pro day that ran in the four threes or their 40. Like, really? <laughs> You're telling me Kentucky's got four dudes running four three? I'm not buying that. Maybe Michigan State is just the most honest stopwatch out there. Uh, but you have Antoine Simmons, somebody that we love. We, we really think I, – I still think he has an NFL future maybe not as a starter, maybe not as an all pro, but I think he's going to have, he's a guy that's smart enough, instinctive enough, and just a damn good football player. He'll find a role somewhere, whether it's, even if it's on special teams, man, like he's just a good football player, but running a four, eight is not good for your draft stock. Uh, I'll tell you that much. Uh, And then you had Shakur Brown who came in, he was listed on the roster at six foot. He, he weighed in at his pro day at what, five, nine and a half, and <laughs> then went out and ran a four, six, five, 40. Like, that's not good for corner. And I know we talk about like, Oh, the forties overrated. If there's two positions that it's, it's at least impactful for it's wide receiver and corner. Cause those are the only guys who are ever going to be asked to turn and run 20, 30, 40 yard sprints. Um, so that wasn't good. His vertical jump wasn't great. Uh, it was in like the 40th percentile of his class. Like it just wasn't a good workout. So I think that I talked about it right when he came out, I was one of the people who said, like, I think this is a mistake. I, I think he should come back, but I, I think those two, I would be surprised if they were drafted at this point, but that leaves Naquan Jones somebody I definitely think will get drafted. So Naquan Jones, uh, I found a, a piece on him from the draft network. They've been in business for a couple of years. They, they have some legit NFL draft scouts. Uh, and there was a, a little piece done on, on Naquan Jones, just listing some pros and cons. And I just wanted to read this off. I thought it was interesting. The pros for Naquan Jones, prototypical size and length for the interior, and he pairs it with a pleasant amount of mobility to work up and down the line between the numbers. He's filled with potential. Instances of stack and shed illustrate good upper body power and necessary length to be a force in gap control concepts on defense. He's going to challenge soft soft offensive linemen as a load when he builds some momentum to challenge gaps and play in attack mode. 
I think he's athletic enough to fill both penetration role and serve as a one technique who's uh, tasked with keeping his linebackers clean and in run defense punch power stands out in a big way when you watch him. And I think those, these are things we've all talked about, right? He's athletic for his size. He's got unbelievable power and the potential is definitely there. Um, I won't read all of the cons, but it basically starts with for all his potential he's a little bit unproven and, and inconsistent is basically what it comes down to. So I, I think that that potential is what will get him drafted. I think that'll be a fourth or fifth round type guy. Uh, but I, I think the more the process goes on, the closer we get to the draft, I think it's very obviously Naquan Jones. And, and I, at this point, I would be surprised if he wasn't the only one drafted. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to belabor the point. I'd just reiterate everything that you said. I don't have a contrarian take on this one. Um, like you said, he's he's the clear best fit right now. Other guys have a lot to prove. Um, is there going to be a combine this year? Have we nope. have we heard? No, it was, no, no they combine. did like a ceremonial invites. So, right. um, okay. but there's not an actual combine, which is why these pro day numbers keep getting blown up because that's the only mm-hmm. numbers we have to go off of. Yeah. Which, I mean, I don't know if, if Brown or uh, Simmons were invited by, you know, honorary invites, but um, in any event without a Kerr Brown was Antoine Simmons wasn't, which would have been a good opportunity real quick, just for Simmons, not for the athletic testing, but to be able to meet face-to-face interviews, because I think he's one of those guys where if he went and interviewed with a team, uh, they, they might fall in love with him in that way. I think the testing would be maybe pretty similar to what we saw. Maybe he could improve on it a little bit, but um, I he's think that's where similar, he really make he, his He has money. a similar um, approach and kind of charisma as like Akari Willis, who – I mean, you know, coming out of college, Kari Willis wasn't the athletic dude everybody was talking about, but now he's basically a borderline captain on the Colts defense. Um, Similar situation. I don't know if if Simmons is quite as um, primed for success in the NFL as Kari Willis was, but um, in any event, you know, really great instincts, great attitude and character, a leader in college, great tape. you know, and, and like you said, that would have been a great opportunity to kind of woo some some suitors in the interviews. Um, but in any event, Naquan Jones, keep an eye out for him to be the first name called um, this April, this month. When is the yeah. draft? Yeah, it's, it's coming up on us. Yeah, Kari Willis, um, I have it pulled up here. There, There's a website, Mock Draftable. Um, and it, it, it'll, it has, it's like a whole database of, of combine uh, statistics and everything. And Kari Willis was basically in like the 30th percentile for almost every athletic testing thing, broad jump, vertical jump, uh, bench press was actually really good, which isn't really that surprising. His 40 was okay. He was in the 60th percentile, but again, that goes to show you like he wasn't a great athlete, but he was such a just good football player, good leader that he's made it work. So hopefully Antoine Simmons can kind of follow that model, but 2022 is interesting because again, it's um, I I basically put together like a quick list here. I ran through the roster and went by class to see like, okay, who are guys? Let's start here with guys that are on the roster who are technically draft eligible, who we've seen on the field. And I can say like, that could be an NFL player. 
Um, we'll start there and then kind of work our way back. So of the super seniors, I put down Anthony Rousseau, the quarterback, and Drew Jordan, the, so two transfers. Anthony Rousseau, he's been actually on NFL draft kind of radars for a couple of years now. Um, there's been articles written about him uh, going back to like 2019 that I've seen. Um, and Drew Jordan, I just think with his production plus his size that we talked about, 285 as a defensive end, I think he could find a home in like a, an NFL William Golston type role as a, a run stopper who is capable of getting into the backfield. Uh, redshirt seniors, I, I just put Jacob Panishuk. I think he's a guy that could get drafted again and um, just, just a good football player. I don't think he'll get drafted high. But uh, I think he could have an NFL future. Xavier Henderson is a senior that I think will definitely be an NFL guy. Will he get drafted high? I don't know. Redshirt juniors. Deshaun Mallory, I put down on there. I think he, he just fits the prototype of a penetrating, but also gigantic defensive tackle. Uh, very little tape on him. We're going to have to see him as more of a focal point. Jarrett Horst, incoming offensive tackle. You can't teach size, six foot six, long arms, and, and I think he's put some good tape out there so far. Kalon Gervin, the corner, I think is plenty talented enough, and we saw a lot of flashes last year that tell me he could be an NFL corner. And then the two receivers, Jalen Naylor, Jaden Reed, I think they're explosive playmakers that NFL teams are going to be interested in. Juniors, there's one guy, J.D. Duplain, on the offensive line. I think individually he could be the only one on this offensive line right now that I think um, besides Jarrett horse, like I mentioned, um, who, but who is incoming, uh, who could be an NFL guy. I, I think we've, we've talked about him quite a bit. And then the red shirt sophomores who are technically draft eligible, Kenneth Walker incoming running back. He's been very productive at wake forest in two years already. Jalen hunt, similar to Deshaun Mallory. I think he's, he's fits the bill, but we just haven't seen enough of him yet. And similar is going to be a defensive end, Michael Fletcher, who I think has all the tools. He's got all the potential. Again, just need to see more. So I like, I guess we can talk about like most of those guys aren't going to be coming out in 2022, right? So I guess starting but from there, but I, I guess in general, running through those names, Scott, are there any you disagree with? Are there anybody you'd like to add? Um, what do you think about those guys as potential NFL players? Yeah, I like the list. Um, I think Nick Samack could be a backdoor shot at another offensive lineman if he has really turns it up the last couple of years on campus. Um, but as far as this discussion, who we think will get drafted first in 2022, I think it's really between three guys. And obviously it all rides on how the season plays out. But two transfer seniors, Rousseau and uh, Drew, Drew Jordan, both have prototypical NFL size. Um, obviously, they have to test well. Rousseau, as a pocket passer, is going to have to check a lot of passing boxes. You know, he's not that Kyler Murray mold, obviously. So he's going to have to, for, for an NFL team in an, in an NFL league that is looking for dual threat guys, he's going to have to look phenomenal as a passer this season to really get you know, good looks to a high draft pick. Drew Jordan, you mentioned he's he's got the size, but he's not necessarily like your your Miles Garrett or, or a Bosa brother or something where he's dominant in the pass rush. So he's going to have to look good and add some moves to his pass rush. Uh, and and Kalen Gervin, 
who, I mean, he's a, he's a talented corner from a university that puts out successful NFL cornerbacks and defensive backs. Uh, I think it's his year this year. So, and last year, honestly, he had a great year. There were a couple spots where, you know, he struggled and had to clean some things up. But by all accounts, I think one of the reasons Shakur Brown had so many interceptions is because a lot of teams were avoiding Kalen Gervin in yep. that uh, wide receiver one, cornerback one matchup. And and that says a lot when teams are game planning around you. Um, this year, it'll probably be e- even more severe teams avoiding him, just given who else we will or will not have at cornerback. Um, so it's between those three for me. Obviously, it depends on how this season plays out. I think if I have to pick one, I would say Kalen Gervin, just his combination of experience, skill, and the need at that position in the NFL, I think bodes in his favor. I think Drew Jordan and Anthony Rousseau both have question marks drew jordan might have a ceiling as far as how high he will be drafted unless he comes out this year and looks dramatically different in pass rush um not to say he was a bad pass rusher it's just like i said he's not that specialist that you know nfl teams really fall in love with these days yeah kalon gervin is i think the right pick here to be honest he has he was a big uh big time recruit he which kind of goes back to the athletic type of stuff. I think he's a very good athlete. I think he just plays the position really damn well. And like you said, you know, it's, it's a program that has put out a lot of guys at that position, which it, it doesn't, it isn't everything, but it does matter, right? You do see the, the defensive end at Ohio state. You see some of these linebackers at Penn state. Right. And, and NFL teams will say, you know what, we know this guy's going to be well coached. We know this guy's is going to be a good player because, you know, we've seen Harlan Barnett put out these dudes left and right. So NFL teams are going to trust that, okay, he was coached by Harlan Barnett his entire career. Um, well, I guess he might have missed a couple of years there, but um, he was coached by Harlan Barnett, who we know puts out pros. And obviously he's been good on the field. So Last year in 2020, there were 27 cornerbacks taken in the draft. The year before, there were 32. It's always one of the positions, them wide receivers, uh, linebackers, actually, weirdly enough, who are the most commonly drafted. If we look at like how many players are getting drafted at this position, <clears throat> corners always right up there. So I think Kalon Gervin has an opportunity just from talent and from just kind of the, the way the NFL draft typically works to be up there. So I would also go Kalon Gervin, but I think if I had to go with a runner up, it would probably be Drew Jordan. Xavier Henderson is interesting. I think if you asked us this question this time last year, Xavier Henderson might've been the pick, uh, but. <clears throat> yeah, he's got a lot to prove. He's a little undersized for strong safety in the NFL listed at two ten. Um I think a lot of teams would like to be up into that 220, 225 range as a run stopper. 210's kind of small to be stopping NFL running backs on a regular basis. So he'll have a lot to prove this year. He'll have his opportunities going up against NFL backfields, uh, excuse me, Big Ten backfields this season. Uh, might as well be NFL sometimes. <laughs> um, so yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think uh, it'll be one of those three that we were talking about. I, Anthony Rousseau, He's going to have to show a lot. I mean, he's got a great arm, but you know, I I think the NFL is going in a different direction than his style. Like I mentioned. So um, it'll be, it'll be a story to watch, but first he's got to win the starting job at Michigan state. 
Yeah, that that's the other thing that gives me pause with Rousseau. I'm like, I don't even know if he's going to be the starter. So that's interesting part of it too. Um, but <clears throat> moving on, the last thing we want to hit on today here, and then we'll get out of here, is is kind of going to be a rapid fire here. So uh, there was an article by Colton Pouncey of the Athletic. Uh, if you're not signed up for the athletic, it's they're doing, they're always doing promos and stuff. I'm pretty sure they're doing like a dollar a month for an entire year. So you can pay like 12 bucks for a year. They it's great content all around uh, for Michigan state. Colton Pouncey does a phenomenal job for Michigan state basketball. It's Brandon Quinn does a good job. And then uh, all, all national coverage, Red Wings, Tigers, Pistons, whatever. Um, so I, I do recommend getting an, a subscription to the athletic. I've had one for a couple of years now. Um, so I want to make sure I shout them out because I'm kind of stealing content here because Colton Pouncey put on a, put out a fan survey, basically kind of what people are feeling. And I'm not going through all of these, but I I'm taking a couple that I thought were interesting. Scott has not seen this article. Scott has not seen these questions. So I wanted to kind of go through, get some kind of gut reactions of what you would lean towards. A couple of these are, are mostly recruiting based, uh, but a, a couple of things like roster wise in general. So we're going to run through these. We'll, we won't take too much time. We'll kind of get some quick hitter, quick thoughts. Um, number one, again, the, from Colton Pouncey in the athletic, some of his fan survey questions. So number one, Scott, what will be the average, rec- what will the average recruiting class look like in future years under Mel Tucker. So I'm assuming we're looking at like year four, five, six, you know, once we're really established. Top 10, top 15, top 20, top 25, top 30, or worse than top 30. So 10, 15, 20, 25, 30, or worse. Um, I think top 10 is a little unrealistic. Just uh, I think it's hard to lure that many talented recruits, especially in the recruiting competition kind of that we face with, you know, our regional foes um, and, and the fact that everybody's recruiting nationally these days. Um, I would say anywhere from top, I w- well, not anywhere from top 15, the 15 to 25 range. Um, if we really have some success, you know, getting into the mid teens, if we, you know, stabilize as a, a good, not great big 10 team, maybe top 25, top 30, um, obviously it depends on results and obviously it depends on just how good of a recruiter Mel Tucker and his staff are. I think I, so far I've been impressed, but there's a lot to be proven. Um, so yeah, I'd say maybe right around 20 on average. I think it's tough for a team like Michigan state to move beyond that for the reasons I mentioned uh, a few seconds ago. Yeah, I, I was leaning top 20 here. Uh, I, I have the 24 seven rankings pulled up from 20, I guess I can do 2021 class because that's finished up. I was looking at 2020 just to get an idea of like the team. So like top 10, I mean, we're talking obviously Alabama, Ohio state, LSU, Notre Dame, USC. I don't, I don't think we're getting there. 15, you start getting into like Florida, Miami, North Carolina, possible. Yes. Uh, likely maybe not, but if a North Carolina can do it, I think we could as well. Um, top 20 is when you start getting Ole Miss, Tennessee, Maryland is even up there from this year. So I think top 20 is where I settled on 25 is you start getting like Iowa, uh, Florida States up there, uh, Arkansas, Nebraska. So um, 
and then when you get to 30, you're getting Cal, Missouri. I think we should be able to out-recruit those type of schools. So I think top 20 is where I landed. The, the most common results were top 20 and top 25. Um, and then the rest of the votes were scattered around. So I think that was a good one. Which of the following will help MSU the most in recruiting? So you have four options here. Number one, momentum in Detroit. The momentum uh, recruiting the city of Detroit. Number two is in-person recruiting. So like the, the, the visits and everything that we aren't available for right now. Number three is generally establishing the team identity and schemes. So you can kind of sell this, you know, hey, this is going to be your role in our offensive scheme or defensive scheme. Or number four, developing players and sending them to the NFL. So number one, momentum recruiting in Detroit. Number two is, is getting back to in-person visits and recruiting. Number three, establishing the team identity and schemes. And number four is developing players and sending them to the NFL. You had to pick one, which will help MSU the most in recruiting. I think the answer is different short-term versus long-term. And I don't know if that was specified in the question. Um, I think short-term it's in-person recruiting. I think, a lot has been made obviously of Mel Tucker's ability to recruit. I work actually at, in sales and I've been virtual selling, if you will, for, for the last year or so. And the difference between trying to sell somebody on something in person versus virtually is so dramatic. I think it is holding us back more than most programs because we had a coaching change. So there's just a ton of question marks. The guys who played under D'Antonio can't necessarily vouch for, um, you know, what's going on in the Tucker program. So it, it's, it's tough um, to sell something virtually. And I think that in-person recruiting short-term is a huge one. I think long-term it is developing NFL players. I think 90 five to 99 percent of three star and up recruits um their number one goal is to get to the nfl above all else coming out of high school they want to play in the pros it's what everybody wants and that's what they should want so you know you look at a team like michigan who maybe they don't have the on-field results that are expected of them they're getting phenomenal recruiting classes because their dudes are making it to the league and I think that's pretty much across the board. You know, you look at USC, Notre Dame, like those are teams that consistently have a lot of dudes drafted, even if they're kind of having down years every other year. Um, so, yeah, I think long-term it's, it's the proof in the pudding showing that your guy, your coaches get dudes to the league. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And just, just to kind of put it in context as well. Like, again, you look at the recruiting rankings Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, Georgia, Clemson, Oregon. You look at the last couple of drafts, the, the colleges with the most draft selections. 2019, number one, Alabama with 10 players. Number two, Ohio State with nine players. Next up, Oklahoma, then Georgia and Texas A&M. And 2020 draft, LSU, Michigan, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson, Florida, Georgia, and then Utah with seven as well. So it's the same schools putting out the, the most NFL guys and the same schools that are getting the biggest recruiting class or the best recruiting classes. So definitely agree. Need to get guys to the NFL, show them that, that there is a path at your school 
that you're going to be able to, to make their dreams come true. Right. So uh, next up, which position group needs an influx of talent the most in general, no, no specifics, which, which position group needs an influx of talent the most. I won't read off all the positions. You know what they are. There's three that come to mind right off the bat. That's offensive line, linebacker, and secondary, specifically the cornerback. Offensive line was the highest with 40%. Linebacker was the second highest with 16%. Um, the next highest was actually quarterback also had about 16%. So Yeah, I think right now, this exact moment, we need linebackers the most. But I think as you look at recruiting and you look at bringing guys in the next few years, I think it is offensive line. I actually had this thought as I was looking over the roster while we were recording, we're going to lose like a ton of offensive line talent yeah. this year and, and next year. Um, basically the next two years, we lose everyone who has any experience on our team right now. So Keep an eye on that as we get through spring and into the season. Uh, they're going to have to get some guys, freshmen, sophomores, some you know lower tier juniors, some snaps because yeah, we got to start developing these guys. And I think we see that too with, with our 2022 class. Our first three signings were all offensive linemen. Like I think yep. I think there's a realization in the building of of that as well. Yeah, so we'll we'll get into that in our position group previews later this offseason. But uh, that's a story to watch. But yeah, I think offensive line long term, and it's where most coaches want to establish the the basis of their entire team. Um, because if with a bad offensive line, you just can do absolutely nothing on the field, as we know from yeah. some of the look past at Florida seasons. State, right? They're they're yeah. putting out great recruiting classes every year. They're putting dudes in the NFL, but they haven't been able to win games because their offensive line has been so, so bad for yep. years now. And they just, you can't do anything until you get over that. So yeah, one thing that I thought was interesting, the very bottom, the, 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 the position that had the least amount of votes. So in theory, the, the group that people are most confident in was safety with 0.3%. And I actually think like we, we need safeties, man. <laughs> well, so I think the reason being probably is we have a lot of young safeties. I think we have like four or five either freshmen or yeah, or redshirt freshman safeties. So maybe the guy, you know, maybe the fans just are just assuming none of them are proven, right? And I think and, that's where my hesitation is. And safety's just not that sexy, so it probably just doesn't get that many votes at the yeah. end of the day. Uh, the next, there was two questions for the, for the interest of time, I'm going to combine them together. There were two separate questions. How confident are in you? How confident are you in MSU's offensive staff recruiting? And how confident are you in defensive staff recruiting? Very confident, somewhat confident, not confident. I'm going to just combine these two for the sake of time. Which staff are you more confident when it comes to recruiting the offensive staff or the defensive staff? I would say defensive because we have guys who have proven themselves within Michigan state's program, guys like Ron Burton and Harlan Barnett, who have been around creating NFL players, uh, the offensive staff. I mean, I'm not going to say I'd, I'm not confident in them. I think there's just, you know, jury's still out on them both on the field and in recruiting. We just haven't really gained any comfort levels with them because they've most of them, if not all of them have only been around for, for one year or, or they're new this year. So uh, yeah, definitely defensive staff. I'd put the defensive staff somewhere between somewhat and firmly confident. 
I'd put the offensive staff right around somewhat confident. Interestingly enough, the the numbers were actually quite similar because I think it would be defensive pretty significantly. Like Ron Burton and Harlan Barnett as position coaches are are established recruiters. And then you add in Scotty Hazelton, who I'm much more confident in as a D coordinator. And then the head coach being a defensive guy. I think that has to factor in as well. Um, and a guy that is, is nationally known as a recruiter. So yeah, I think defensive there as well. The last one, simple yes or no question. After the additions we've seen in the last calendar year, do you believe the MSU roster is stronger right now than it was one year ago? After everything, transfer portal, graduations, everything, April 3rd is when we're recording this podcast. Do you think the off the roster is better on April 3rd, 2021 than it was in April 3rd, 2020? Yes. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, it, it just feels better. I'm maybe I'm an eternal optimist, but we brought in a lot of talent. Um, we didn't lose. I know we left some big holes, some big shoes to fill, but not a lot of them, you know, big gaps, but, but specific gaps. And we've added a lot of talent and, uh, and we've got some young guys that have been around the program now for a little longer who we should expect big things from. So yeah, I think this year looks better than last year. Yeah, I think just look at what we talked about with the 2022 draft question. Anthony Rousseau and Drew Jordan were two guys that we said. They're both coming in as as transfers. Kenneth Walker, Jarrett Horst, they were both guys I mentioned that are incoming transfers. Uh, and then you you have a, a bunch of guys that we didn't mention there, but were highly rated recruits like a Harold Joyner at running back from Auburn, like a uh, Chester Kimbrough corner from Florida that, that I think, yeah, I, I, I definitely agree that the, the roster is in a better place right now than it was a calendar year ago. And again, that speaks to kind of the job Mel Tucker's done in a very difficult spot. So that's going to be the episode for today. Unless you have anything else for us here, Scott. Nope. Going to enjoy some basketball today. We'll be back on it next week. We will crown our bracket challenge champion. Uh, We'll probably do that on Twitter earlier in the week because we will know obviously Monday night tonight, if you're listening to this on Monday. Um, Yeah. It's an exciting time. we got a great, I have a great weekend of weather coming up. Going to get outside, do some hiking, some other stuff. So um, excited to get into that but uh, this was a fun one thank you for the mailbag questions I think we had some great conversation starters some some good football stuff some good non-football stuff uh, I, I, I had some fun with this one yeah this is I, I think we can pat ourselves on the back here Scott I think this is a good episode so uh, next week like I said we'll be back uh, obviously through the whole off season make sure you check out standingroomspartans.com uh, make sure you follow on Twitter at Standing Room MSU and at Spartan Martin 18. The Instagram is Standing Room Spartans, and you can always email us at standingroomspartans at gmail.com. Uh, but until next week, have a happy Easter, everybody. Go green. Go white. Take care, folks. <laughs>